lovely to be with you all this morning, a privilege to be able to share the next one in our series, as Caleb said. We've looked at our king, we've looked at the kingdom that he was ushering in, and last week John did 10 points around the army as we start to think of the church as the army. We unite behind our king, but what is it that we're supposed to do? So I want you to turn to the person next to you, behind you, and tell them what you think your mission is. Right, was that straightforward? <laughs> Did anyone say, I'm not quite sure? Um, so we're going to look today at what the Bible teaches us about our mission as God's people. You can't talk about it anymore, we're done. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to look at, at the mission um, as God's people, and we'll then explore the impact of that mission and, crucially, how we sustain it. You may be expecting me to launch straight into the Great Commission, which is a passage in Matthew 28, which is well known when Jesus tells his disciples to go out, make disciples. We will get there, uh, but I think a wider perspective would be helpful. So I'm going to start in the Old Testament. What might we say is God's mission to his people in the Old Testament? For the Old Testament isn't just a set of stories. It's not even just history. It shows us God's plans for his people as a whole. It starts, really the plan to bring his people starts with a call to Abraham. And he promises Abraham that from him will come a people, there'll be a place, there'll be a nation. And from this promise in time, Jesus comes. So if I had to sum up what God's mission for his people was in the Old Testament, I think I would say it's live as my people and listen to me. Live as my people and listen to me. You see, he calls them into a specific place, Israel. And he sets out detailed laws about how they are to live in Israel. These laws tell them what they're to eat. It tells them how they are to worship. It tells them which tribes are going to be in which part of the country. It tells them all these different guidance on how to live, how to care for the poor. And really, what he does by that is he makes them a completely distinctive nation to all the nations around them. Here is a nation that is serving the one true God, and it's a witness because none of the other nations are around, around are like that. Here is a people who serve the one true God, and this is built on the principle of, as we see in the Ten Commandments, loving him and loving one another. Love God, love your neighbor, as Jesus would put it. So they were instructed how to live as God's people, but unlike now, where we have the Holy Spirit to guide us individually, the main way they would hear through God was through the prophets, which is a huge part of our Old Testament. And that is the listen to me. So live as my people and listen to me. The problem is the Israelites were not very good at heeding the prophets' words. The prophets were trying to draw attention to the ways that they were failing. Here's a classic in Jeremiah 25, verse 3. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Amon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again 
and again, but you have not listened. And as we know, they failed so badly that they ended up being taken out into exile. So in the Old Testament, we see a, a bit of a failure in the mission, don't we? To live as God's people and listen to him. Jesus comes. He announces that the kingdom is near. He also ushers in a new covenant, which means we don't need to worry about all those rules and regulations anymore that we read about in the Old Testament. Yet God's plan for his people remains the same. It's the same God. Of course, it remains the same. Live as my people and listen to me. Here is how Jesus puts it. Listen carefully. It's a concept so simple, children can understand it, but so challenging, a whole lifetime is insufficient to truly master it. Mark 1:17, follow me. That's it. Like the child's game, Simon says, we simply need to do what Jesus says, and if Jesus doesn't say it, we shouldn't do it. How many now are you thinking of Simon Says? How many of you are thinking, what's she talking about? How many are like, are we going to do it? Well, come on then. So we play Simon Says. If Simon says it, we do it. For those who've never played this game. So if Simon Says, put your hand on your head. So Simon Says, put your hands on your head. Simon Says, put your finger on your nose. Simon Says, wave at everyone around you. Put your hands on your head. Oh, but Simon didn't say it. Whilst Jesus isn't standing in front of us showing us the actions, we have the Bible with his example of how to live and the Holy Spirit prompting us to help keep our path straight. Now, social media has done some damage to the concept of following someone. To follow Jesus does not mean see his newsfeed pop up in the midst of a load of other comments, and if it's particularly thought-provoking or looks pretty, pause and reflect on it, or maybe retweet it. And I sincerely hope you don't hold your commitment to follow Jesus in the same way we might follow someone on socials. And when they say something we don't like, we simply click unfollow. The Greek word for follow me is akolotheo, which, as with most Greek words in the Bible, has a broader range of translations than just English follow. It can also mean accompany and assist. So, so Jesus wasn't just saying tag along. He's not saying listen and believe from a distance, but come close. Join me. Join me and help me with the mission. And that's why it actually says before follow me, come, follow me. Which can sound like come and follow me, it's the same thing. No, come, come close and follow me in the sense of walking with me, accompanying me. As John, John last week read from the message, Matthew eleven twenty nine to 30, which also picks this sort of idea up. Walk with me and work with me, it says in the message. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So walk with me, work with me, keep company with me. This is not following from a distance, is it? We need to engage with Jesus in both learning and doing the work of the gospel. There's nothing passive about being a true follower of Jesus. 
So follow me is easy to say, two short words, but what they capture within them is vast. And it will be different for each one of us, by the way. Your call will be different to mine. It's actually quite freeing, I think, because we don't need to try and figure out God's big plan when we're trying to do what we believe he's asked us to do. All we need to focus on is obedience to that and following what he has asked us to do. That's what Jesus modelled. He says, I have come to do not my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see him there saying, not my will, but your will. In the Bible, we see a, an example of this sense of everyone getting their own task. So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, Paul is getting a bit frustrated with the Corinthians because they're all getting into factions around different leaders. So Apollo, some are talking about Peter, some are talking about Paul. And he says, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So the Lord assigns to each of us a different task. And that's what we see in the New Testament. Last night we were um, at the Barbican actually for a concert of the York Guildhall. And they also had uh, Leeds Festival um, chorus as well. And I was sat there listening and I thought, here's an actually excellent example of what it means. They're all following the conductor because he's the one that's keeping them in time, and he knows when to bring out different aspects of the pieces of music they're playing. But of course, each individual person has a different task to do. They played Waltz of the Flowers, which has an amazing harp solo. That's about all the harpist did, but the bit that she did was extremely important to that particular piece. The violins have a totally different task from the trombone. You know when the trombones start playing. You would really miss them if they weren't there, but they can't bash in at the wrong time because it would totally wreck the piece of music. Everyone has their own task, but they are following. They don't, don't follow the conductor for part of the music. They follow him to the finish line. They follow him right to the end. There's a the music, and then they all play the last note. And until the conductor puts his hands down, they stop following him. As we follow Jesus, we each have a different task. And just like an orchestra is focused on the conductor, but listening to everyone else to make sure that they blend in, that they've got their dynamics right. And just as each one would have their own particular flair and way of playing their instrument, we all have our own different way of following Jesus. But we're given different tasks. And one of the things I, um, I love about the way Jesus has set this out is that it's not for any of us to judge how anyone else is following Jesus. When we did Simon Says, the only person who can judge who is not doing what Simon has not said they should do is the one who sees, because I could see everyone. I could see who put their hands on their head. Jesus sees us, and Jesus knows what he has asked each one of us to do. And who are we to look at someone else and say they criticize their Christian walk? Jesus is the one who says, follow me. And that looks different for different people. And some things that are easy for you to do might be incredibly difficult for someone else. So, why would that be the mission of the army of God? What is the impact? So we've looked at the mission to follow me. What is the impact? Well, here comes Jesus' famous instruction to his disciples in Matthew 28. 
what's titled the Great Commission in our Bibles, Jesus says to them, Go, therefore go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So often I feel like we focus on the go. Go. You know, what's, what's God calling you to go to? But today I want to link a bit more into the make disciples side of things. We need to flesh out what that means in the context of following Jesus. Let me ask you, where have you seen God's kingdom break in? And did it involve his people? Perhaps in praying for something, or in doing something that made a huge impact, like standing up for the poor and vulnerable, or simply sharing what Jesus meant to them. That's ultimately what the Queen did. Her Christmas messages gave her an opportunity to explain what Jesus meant to her, which became such a witness. It's why the Archbishop of Canterbury said in his sermon at her funeral that it was not what she did, but who she followed. How about you? If you're a follower of Jesus, did it happen in a vacuum? Or were there particular people around you who, before they ever spoke about Jesus, acted in a way that got your attention? Seemed to cope with tough times differently. Had hope even in the darkest moments. Saw a bigger picture and knew where they were going. Showed praiseworthy qualities like kindness, gentleness and faithfulness. If you grew up in a Christian home, how much did your parents or others within your church impact you just by watching their lives? As we show love and kindness and patience and peace, we bring God's kingdom on earth. That is a key part of people's testimonies. And doing that requires sacrifice and isn't always comfortable. We are or should be ready for battle at any point ready to show our true colors. So our mission is to follow Jesus, and the impact is the witness this has. And I do truly hope you believe that and that you do have examples where you have seen the impact that someone else's walk with Jesus has had on you or on others around you. It really does impact. But the reality of living our lives for Jesus is not always easy. Sometimes we may wonder if it's really making a difference at all. I think there's a call here to be steadfast. Proverbs 4, verses 26 to 27 says, Give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Caleb has spoken before of the long road of obedience in the same direction. And listening recently to Joan and Jean's stories at the women's night we had, I was also reminded of that importance of being steadfast. Just the simple discipline of putting one foot in front of the other with our eyes fixed on our king. An army needs to be trained. It needs to have discipline. To be honest, if our mission was short-term, so we just had to go out, tell everyone about the gospel, then go on our merry way, would we need the support of one another to move forwards together? Would, would, would we need to kind of be like an army? It's precisely because it's a life 
long commitment through the highs and the lows and the downright boring parts too that it's such a challenge. We're in it for the long haul. I was thinking of a long-haul flight and how that feels different to a short one. In spite of the addition of the free meals and the free TV, they just have a different feel to them. On a short flight, you settle yourself down, you're quite excited about where you're going, and you maybe get your book out or you talk to whoever's with you. You maybe have a snack when the trolley comes by, ignore the duty-free trolley as that one whizzes by, and then before you know it, you need to buckle back up because it's time for, to start the descent. The long-haul flight is quite different. Hands up if you've been on a long-haul flight. There we are, quite a lot of you. Right, so my main long-haul flights have been over to the States en route to Guatemala, so around 10 hours. In my experience, you get on, similar situation, you get yourself settled, find out what films are going to show. I mean, there's so much choice now, but in the old days, you'd find out which films they were going to show. You'd sort of settle in, you'd maybe watch a film, you'd have your nice big dinner with all these different things on the, on the tray, and everything's going well, until you look at your watch, and you realise a mere four hours have gone by, and you're not even halfway through. The hours stretch out, all the novelty disappears, and it just feels like an endurance test, doesn't it? Have you had times in your Christian life where time stretches out ahead of you, the novelty and perhaps the fun of life has disappeared and it all feels a little bit like an endurance test. You're not alone. Paul has some great wisdom for us here. There are a few verses that would help encourage us and know that, that we're not the only ones to feel that way at times. 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Hebrews 12 verse 1, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. They wouldn't use the word perseverance if they didn't know that it does take that a lot of the time. And do not weary of doing good, in Galatians 6, verse 9. But how do we do that? And what I want to do in the last section of my talk this morning is just look at how we can be sustained and inspired to keep running the race with perseverance. So I want to look at a couple of inspirational characters in the Bible. First of all, Isaiah. He had an incredible vision in the temple. You can go and read about it in chapter 6. I'm not going to pick it up now. But he sees the Lord. And such is the magnitude of it that his response is, Woe to me. I'm ruined. Woe to me. I'm ruined. This is a divine encounter that rocks him to the core and changes him forever. He's asked, who will go for us? And he answers, here I am, send me. It sends a thrill down my spine, that passage of scripture. But do you know what Isaiah then had to do for the next decades of his life? He had to go and share God's word with a people who were never understanding and never perceiving. Bring incredible prophecies, but not see many breakthroughs. Now that required a life of endurance, discipline, and hard work. But how that first vision must have sustained him through his life. That incredible vision of seeing the king, the true king, the one it's all for, the reason he's doing it. Fast forward a few centuries, and Peter doesn't see a vision in the temple. 
Instead, he meets a man who instructs him to go out and fish. And the boat starts to overflow with the amount of fish that they catch. Peter realizes and responds, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Isn't it interesting how both Isaiah and Peter, that's the first, not like, wow, you're amazing. The first thought is, I'm sinful. Woe to me. I'm ruined. I, I, I can't be in your presence. Peter meets the living Lord Jesus. He also sees a glimpse of him glorified at the transfiguration. And this surely is what then sustains him for the momentous task ahead of him the rock on which Jesus will build his church, the leader at Pentecost, persecuted with all the challenges of being a church leader, not to mention the grief of losing Jesus as a man on earth as well. Regular encounters with God will sustain us. When we capture something of the majesty of our king, it also reminds us we have the victory, as John shared last week, But Jesus didn't call Peter in isolation. He didn't call Paul in isolation on the road to Damascus when Paul had a vision of Jesus or any of his disciples. He called them to form the church so we could move forwards together. That gives us such an opportunity to sustain one another in our mission, to encourage one another through testimonies, as it says in Hebrews 10.25, to encourage one another daily. We need to be a church that's just really good at encouraging one another as we step out in faith, as we seek to follow what Jesus has asked us to do. We also need to hold one another accountable. It's one of the great things we do in life groups, isn't it? Just check in with each other, do life together, that living as God's people. What about the listening to him? Are we? Let's ask one another if we're doing that. Now, there's another verse that is well-known when talking about mission and sharing our faith, and I just want to spend a bit of time unpacking this to finish. So it's 1 Peter 3, verse 15, which says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. How's it go after that? Oh, gosh, I thought everyone would, a lot of people would have this as a memory verse and start reciting it all to me. So always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, next slide, for the hope, for the reason, for the hope that you have. So always be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that you have. And my goodness, in our world at the moment, we stand apart immediately from others because of that hope that we have. Do you know what comes after that? I'm thinking probably not, since we weren't very, uh, <laughs> very loud in that bit. No, that's it. That's the end of that sentence. So then it's, but do this with gentleness and respect. So that's, you know, just reminds us that we don't need to feel we need to be out, you know, bashing people with the Bible. We're doing it with gentleness and respect. So we don't need to worry. We're just, it's about gently explaining the hope that we have. But I think that when we take that verse just as it is, out of context, there is a bit of a risk that we can be a little bit too comfortable. Like, yeah, I'm doing my own thing. I'm following Jesus. I'm trying to keep living in a Christ-like way. And if anyone asks me, I'll you know, explain gently and with respect. It all sounds a little bit comfortable, a little bit 
under the blanket, a little bit uh, easy, dare I say. So I want to just zoom out on this verse and just show you a little bit about what's going on in this passage in 1 Peter 3. So if you've got a Bible, you can have a look at how it all fits, but I have tried to do it on the slide as well. It's really interesting about the risk when you take a verse out of context and miss the challenge. So, a bit like John was saying, really, I would say that as a church, we're clear that we follow Jesus. We're clear that we follow Jesus. But are we a little too comfortable in doing that? Are we taking any risks? Do we need to be courageous? Are we stepping into deep waters and placing our full trust and faith in Jesus? So let's see what else this verse says. So as we zoom out, you'll see um, on the next slide, we've got that verse in blue. And here's a few things we've got either side. So verse 13, it says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Okay, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Just the discussion of harm uh, is surprising, perhaps. And verse 14, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Interestingly, that's a direct quote from Isaiah, the prophet we've just been talking about who had that long endurance of uh, preaching to to people and, and, well, not being listened to, really. So... Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Interesting context. And after that passage, we have, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now, I think we'd all agree the bigger picture is to bring people to God. That's why the following, our, our own task of following Jesus, the aspect of it being a witness, is ultimately to bring people to God. But for Jesus to bring people to God, it took suffering. And this whole passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 is entitled Suffering for Doing Good. You know, I don't usually like the titles, but I'm going to use it today. So, Suffering for Doing Good. And really, you've got that verse stuck in the middle of a situation where people were suffering to give that answer. It wasn't comfortable. And there are people all around the world today for whom that is a reality. It's not comfortable always to give that answer. When it says, do not fear their threats, or or another alternative translation is, do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. Makes me think of what John shared as well last week about Joshua and how he had to be told three times, be strong and courageous. He mustn't have felt very courageous to be told that three times. And here the people that Peter is writing to don't feel that. And remember, this is Peter who we've just looked at, who knows all about is to be sustained in his Christian walk. As we move forwards in our mission, following him, we long, or I hope we do, to bring people to God. And that may feel scary sometimes. We may even have to suffer. Yet that is the call to follow our suffering saviour, to take up our cross. If we challenge and support one another in that, it will really help us move forwards in power and make a difference. 
to be on the offensive, as we looked at last week and in, in life groups this week. We're providing life groups with some material to spend some time looking in more detail about what it means to follow Jesus in our different spheres of life. What would it look like to share my life, my faith, Jesus, with people I meet in my day-to-day life? When we look at that with others, coupled with the encouragement of hearing testimonies, and first and foremost, being in that close relationship with Jesus as the center of our lives, We have all the tools at our disposal to sustain us in our own specific call to follow him. If the band would like to come up. Actually, I'm just going to take a moment to pause there. Just as I read those words, sustain us in our own specific call to follow him. I just want you to close your eyes and just focus in. Just say to Jesus, What's your call for me? Am I on the track, as it says in Proverbs? Am I steadfast on the track? Or am I verging off to the left or to the right? Jesus, we want to do what you have for us. And we don't want to just follow you whilst it's comfortable. We don't want to just follow you in the bits we like. Lord, would you fill us with your courage? Would you make us bold to step out for you, to tune into you so closely that we know exactly what you're asking us to do? not just in the big picture stuff, not just in what job we should do, not just in, uh, in all those sort of areas, but in the day-to-day when we walk down the street and you say, I want you to do this. I want you to speak to this person. I want you to pause and just go and visit this person. Whatever it may be, Lord, we want to follow you. But we don't want to have got this wrong, Lord. We want to follow you in a way that is wholehearted, in a way that recognizes we may need to suffer, that takes a sacrifice. Lord, would you inspire us us with a fresh vision of who you are, of your majesty, of the incredible privilege it is that you ask us to come and accompany you, to come and assist you. The great majestic king of heaven wants us to come alongside you, wants us to walk with you. Lord, would you drop things into our mind and heart? Would you refresh us? If it's an endurance test at the moment, would you just give us a fresh sense of where we're going and of the difference it makes? Praise God, we are not just following a list of rules, but we are living in tune with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.25 teaches us to keep in step 
with him, with the Holy Spirit. Let's not be distracted by those around, what those around us are doing, entangled in those civilian affairs, as it says in 2 Timothy, but pleasing our commanding officer. In Jesus, we have our example par excellence, sacrifice for others, gentle and lowly of heart, setting the highest standards of conduct, connected to the Father and operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's another key bit to that verse about being prepared to give an answer that I haven't yet added. And that says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. It starts there. In your hearts revere Christ. I'd always be prepared to give an answer. You're prepared to give an answer because it starts with revering, with loving, with devotion to our Lord. We are called in our hearts to revere Christ as Lord. Let's do that now.